Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Well, listen now, anytime you talk about vision, as we're looking at what Vision Sunday is all about, we really are asking a couple of questions. And the first one is, God, what are you doing? Lord, what, what, what in the world is God doing? Because God is moving. God is speaking. God is always doing something. It's not, it's not a question whether or not God is doing something or whether God is moving somewhere or in a certain direction. I think the real question under this question is, can we see it? Can we see what the Lord is doing? Look at Proverbs chapter 29 with me. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 says, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Now vision is an interesting subject because I don't know about you, but there's been moments in my life where I can see, but I really can't see. You guys ever have one of those moments? Or I can see but it's all the wrong stuff. For example, I was doing a small group training last week. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I left my glasses at home. And so I was trying to read the material I was, as, as I was teaching the training, and I was struggling. And it was so funny because I could see everybody in the room. I could see everybody sitting there uh, just perfectly. I could see the actual worksheet. I just couldn't see what I needed to see, and that was the content. I can see everybody looking at me like, what are you saying? Are you okay? It's been a long day, Pastor Matt, hasn't it? Uh, but vision is so important because if you can see but you can't see what you need to see, it's not going to be a good day. But I think when it comes to vision spiritually, I think it parallels our vision physically. For example, if you were to go to an optometrist and there was something wrong with your vision, it probably lands in one of four areas. The first one would be nearsightedness. Now, nearsightedness is this reality that you can see close, you can see what's in front of you, but you can't see what's ahead. You can't see what's out in the distance, right? And then there's, there's something called farsightedness. That's what your boy has, farsightedness, where, where you can see in the distance, you just can't see what's right in front of you. And my wife would amen to that. Right? I can see into the future. We can cast vision, but I can't find my keys. What's happening? <laughs> True story happened this morning. Couldn't find my keys. Left him at church. Rough day. Almost had to Uber, but thank God for Pastor Chris. He picked me up. And it was awesome. I got to preach my sermon to him the whole way here. It was great. But then there's colorblindness. Another vision in Paris is colorblindness. And I know a few people in our church are colorblind. And that's where everything kind of looks the same. And it can be hard to discern the vast arrays of what God is speaking and what God is doing. And then there's also tunnel vision. Now tunnel vision is, is it's difficult to embrace change because you're seeing through such a narrow lens. You see that God is really only moving and working in your life and through your life in a very narrow way. And it's important, if we can't see what God is doing, if we can't see what we need to see, then we're not going to be able to go where we need to go. Yeah. And th this, is why, this is why vision is so important. And this, that's what Vision Sunday is all about. We're simply inviting God to say, Lord, what are you speaking? What are you saying? Lord, would you open our hearts? Would you enlighten our minds? 
to see not just what you're doing in the church, but what you're doing in our lives. Because if you're doing something in our lives, you're doing something in the church. You know, they, they always say that revival in a land where God sweeps through and, and really just revives the land where thousands of people get saved and healed and, and set free as God begins to move and sweep through cities and regions, even nations. It always starts with the church being able to see and being able to hear what God is doing and what God is speaking. Revival always starts with us as a church. If God is doing something in us, then he's going to do something in the church. And so with that in mind, I, I want to I point you to a passage that God gave Jackie and I when we first transitioned here in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. And the Lord says, I'm about to do something new through the prophet Isaiah. This is what the prophet Isaiah is prophesying. For I am about to do something new. God loves to do new things. God is the one that makes all things new. And a lot of us have experienced that with regeneration in our life as God, um, uh, as the way of receiving Christ as our, as our Savior and as our Lord. He has come in and regenerated us. He's renewed us. As Paul said to the Corinthian church that anybody in Christ is a new creation, that old things have passed away, and behold, all things become brand new. God loves to do new things. That's why for us as a church, we're, we're, we'll courageously change our methods without changing our message. The gospel doesn't need improvement, but we also need to be open and mindful that God wants to use, and he uses certain seasons in different ways to reach people. He loves to do new things. But it says, I've already begun do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Now this is super powerful because as I began to study this, the prophet Isaiah is really pointing to Christ. He's pointing to a day that not only the Jewish people would be able to experience the salvation of God, but he's pointing to a day that all nations, every tribe, Every tongue would be able to respond to the good news of the gospel and be brought close to God by way of his son's life, death, and resurrection. In other words, what he's saying is, is that those who are far away from God will be able to come close. Those who have been distant will no longer have this gap between them and God as a result of the cross, as a result of his resurrection. Are you guys tracking with that? And so, so as, as, we, um, as we received um, this passage, this passage came up. We, so many people gave us this passage. This is the life verse that God has given us for our church. And we knew that from the very beginning, what this meant is God was broadening the tents and God was saying that we exist not simply as a, a holy huddle, but more of a rescue team to reach those who are far from God, that they might be brought close. And, and, and how that happens and what God begins to do in that process, let me show you on the screen, is he all of a sudden, as a result of that, we're able to know God, we're able to live free, we're able to find purpose, and we're able to make a difference. And this is basically the great commandment of love your neighbor, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, paired up with the great commission that says go into the world and make disciples of all nations. This is, this is, this is what God has called us to, and this is how God has called us to reach. But listen, before we jump in, 
to where we're going, I just want to take a moment and look at what God has done over this last year. I want to show you two stories real quick. The first story is a little bit hard to hear, so you're going to have to lean in. The audio is a little messed up. Second one is very clear, um, but there was some background noise when we videotaped it. But I really want you to, to, to lean into what he's saying, so don't get distracted by the noise. But let's, let, let me invite you uh, to, to pay attention to what God is doing in our church. This is just a sneak peek, so check it out. Hi, my name is Vincent. This is my story. Connected with the Fountain Church, I was lost in life. I felt that I didn't find purpose. I didn't know what my purpose was. I felt that I was in quicksand. God called me in. He worked with me. He worked on me. He transformed me. He changed my life. And He gave me purpose. Now, serving with the Dream Team has been a priceless experience. I would always be grateful. Okay. Um, my name's Eva Jones. I've been going to Fountain for about a year now. I was at a point where I was coming back to God. I was at home having my devotionals and reading. And then um, I kept thinking I should be getting back into a church. And so when I came over with her, of course, I was... Uh, greeted with the signs, and I thought, ooh, this is different. And it was it was quite exciting. The music was different, and I was used to the old-fashioned choirs, so that took me getting used to, but I have grown to love the music because the words just come from my heart, and it, it's exciting. And then when I heard uh, Pastor Matt teaching, preaching to us, and then joined a small group. I began to understand something that all my life of going to a Bible teaching church, being raised in one, the difference between religion and a walk with God, yeah. a real walk with yeah. Jesus. It is, it's been amazing. And Pastor Matt would say, you don't have to have eloquent words. All you do is give an invitation to someone. So then I sit every morning and I ask God, lead me to someone. Don't let me pass up a, an opportunity. But at any rate, opportunities come to me in the gym and God's helped me to catch it and open my mouth. And I've never done that before in my life. So it's just been, um, for me, I come home so elated with the experience that uh, I keep thinking, tomorrow, who tomorrow, God, who, who, who will come my way tomorrow? Small portion. Of, of what God is doing, just a little sneak peek. So let me give you uh, a, a few other things. And again, this is just a sneak peek, but, but let's look at a few things with me on the screen. This last year, we saw 190 first-time guests. Now, that's, that's amazing. Now, now listen, that's, the only, that's only the ones that we actually recorded on the Connect card. That's why the Connect card is so important, because we know this number is a whole lot more. 
but we just, we can only record what we can record, and we don't want to try to fabricate anything. So um, we saw an average attendance of 120 people in small groups, uh, which was incredible. 139 Dream Teamers serving on the Dream Team, which, man, can we just give it up for the Dream Team for a moment? They've been doing such an incredible job. And already in, in this month alone, we, we've uh, added uh, 12 more people, went through Growth Track and are onboarding to our dream team. We did our first serve day where we had all of our small groups come together. We had over 100 people scatter um, uh, just amongst uh, our city and our, our local region here uh, doing service projects from convalescent homes to laundry love and to, to yard work to feeding the homeless. I mean, it was just such a special year, and this is my favorite one at the bottom. And we saw 75 decisions for Christ over this last year, which is what it's all about. Now, again, these are only the, the numbers that, that we can monitor that people actually mark. But we know that, that God uh, probably has done a lot more than that. Uh, but it's just so exciting to see and to hear what God is doing. And I'm happy to tell you as your pastor that we're all about the numbers unapologetically, not because we need numbers to feel valuable or like successful, but because every number is a name and every name is a story. In fact, I want to bring you to a story found in Matthew chapter 26. It's a story of a woman by the name of Mary. You guys may have heard of her. Uh, she has a sister by the name of Martha. She has a brother by the name of Lazarus. And every time Mary is mentioned in the gospel, she's found at the same place, at the feet of Jesus. On one particular occasion, she's at the feet of Jesus just receiving his words and everything that he's speaking to her. On another occasion, she's at the feet of Jesus crying out to him in her pain as a result of her brother dying. But then we find her in this moment. And it says, while Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Continue. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And let me stop there. As soon as she did this, the, the disciples were indignant, the Bible says. They were frustrated. They said, why in the world would you waste all of this precious perfume? We could have sold it and given it to the poor. What they were really saying was, why the waste? Because we know from scholars that this, this perfume, this alabaster jar was probably about a year's worth of wages. And she came and she broke it and she poured it all out on Jesus. And as they were kind of rebuttaling, Jesus said, whoa, 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 time out. She poured this, when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And I just love this because I get this picture that, that she, she's pouring out her heart and soul in worship. What she's saying in this moment is, Jesus, I'm all in. You can have all that I am. You are enough. You are enough. But little did she know that this small or, or, or this, this what would look like in the bigger picture, a small act of worship, of devotion, would be a prophetic moment of preparation for Jesus' burial as he would soon go to the cross, 
be buried dead and raised from the dead on the third day, which would have a profound impact on you and I, I would say, today. And so long story short is this woman's act of devotion was a prophetic moment that led and had an impact on your story and on my story. Little did she know. And Jesus said, that is a story worth telling everywhere the gospel is preached. And I thought, how cool is that? That it's just not a story about what God is doing in her, but what God is also doing through her. And I thought, God, that's the type of church we have to be. We can't just be a church where God is just always doing stuff in us. God is doing stuff in us so he can do something through us. Are you tracking with that? Like, it can be about us a little bit, but it can't be all about us. And so I thought, man, we have so much opportunity as even just we look at this Tri-Valley. Let me show you a picture. So as we look at the Tri-Valley, I don't know why they call it Tri, because it's Dublin, Saramon, Livermore, and Pleasanton. Uh, it's four. I don't know they call it Tri. I don't, I don't know. Um, but nevertheless, the population is 310,886 people. It's increased a little bit. Over the last two years, our city has gone from 72,000 to 83. We've almost increased by 10,000 people alone um, in our city since the last census was done. Pretty incredible. But there's only 30,000 church seats in regards to Bible teaching churches. That means there are 286,886 people that would not have a place to go to church even if they wanted to. Not only that, our city alone is about 98% unchurched, and the Tri-Valley accumulated is 95% unchurched. That's a vast, that's a huge number. And God has called us to make an eternal difference in this land. Now you may say, well, man, how in the world, where do we even begin with a number like that? I mean, it seems, it just seems unreal. It seems too big. It seems like, I mean, look at us. We're just, you're a small church. I mean, what can we really do to impact that number? Well, you need to listen to last week's message because don't despise what God can do with small things. But I thought there's a great way that I believe God wants to use each and every one of us to make an eternal difference in that number. And I don't know if you have, but let me show you a picture of this movie called Dunkirk. Anybody ever heard of Dunkirk? In Dunkirk, 1940, World War II, the British soldiers along with some allies found themselves on the beaches of France at Dunkirk, trapped, 400,000 of them. Now, now this, uh, imagine this, they were basically awaiting their slaughter. The British could no longer send their ships because the Nazi planes would just blow them up. They couldn't send more ships uh, because they also had to protect the British borders. So basically, people were saying, just surrender. Just let it go. It's too big. There's no way we're going to be able to extract all of those people. Well, there was a man by the name of Winston Churchill. Maybe you've heard of him. He said, no way. We're not doing that. And he comes up with this plan and says, we, we need to mobilize every vessel possible. Fishing boats, rescue boats, civilian boats. Like, let's mobilize. So they mobilized 933 vessels to rescue 400,000 troops. And the first day, only about 7,000 were rescued. In eight days, 
almost 350,000 soldiers came home. People were intimidated by the number and were about to surrender. But one just said, no, 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 no. We just have to cumulative come together, mobilize every resource we have, and go for it. Let me show you this clip. I started to think, there's no way we can just lay down like we talked about last week. Just because it's a vast number just doesn't mean that we just, we just lay down. Like we may not have people that are on the beaches of Dunkirk, but we have, we have families that are on beaches of brokenness. We have people that are on, the, on beaches of hopelessness, desperation, anxiety, fear. We have homes and marriages that are on beaches of divorce and dilapidation, just really waiting and wondering if there is a God who cares. And I don't know if you realize, but God's plan for reaching the lost is still us, the local church. Like God doesn't have a plan B. This, he's called us as the local church to go and to rescue and to do whatever we can to move people closer to God and closer to others. Are you tracking with that? But we all got to be on board. And we've seen this work over this last year. You're going to get so excited about this. Now, now there's, there's no way that we as a church could have planted 120 churches. There's just no way. But what, but what we did is we, we partnered with a, a group of churches. And we thought, man, collectively together, we can do way more. And so, so I'm excited because you had a part in this. You had a part in this. Every single week, your generosity played a major role in what I'm about to show you right now. Let me show you a picture of this. We planted with ARC, the, the network that we're connected with, 120 churches in, in 2017 in the U.S. alone. Now, now this, is, this is huge. In their launch days, there was 28,000 in attendance, um, 1,000 decisions for Christ, 1,026. And now the average church that was planted, they're averaging about 264 people on a Sunday. And they're, they're just getting started. But there's no way. Yeah, let's clap. That's awesome. Thank you. And that's not counting the, the thousands of dollars that we give, uh, that we tithe to our denomination that is affecting the church globally. And we're going to talk about missions uh, over the next couple of months, so I'll save that for a different day. But, but how incredible is this? But this could have never happened if we all just kind of did our own little thing and try to figure it out. No, we all came together and said, man, let's do it together. And lives are changing. People are being rescued. And it's It's incredible. And so that's why as a church, we have to be faithful to what God has called us to and the mission that he's given us. And if you're taking notes, if you didn't already know it, it's on the wall. But the, he's given us this great mission is to move people closer to him and closer to others. This is the great commandment and the great commission combined. We cannot be a church that's stagnant because that's not who God has called us to be. God has called us to church to help people move closer to him and closer to others. And so, so we believe that we are to, that God has called us to be a life-giving multi-site church in this region to make an eternal difference in that 95%. And let me explain what I mean by this. We, we were at Nikki's pastor and she's being interviewed for her pastor's license. And right in the middle of that, we're getting ready to pray for her and our district supervisor, she says, you know, before we go there, and she gets emotional. She says, I really believe I, had a, I have a word from God for you. 
I just really believe God is saying you're going to be a multi-site church, a multi-campus church, and God is doing a quick work, and it's going to be sooner than you think. Have you ever thought about multi-site? And, and we have been praying and asking the Lord, Lord, how do you want us to grow? How's it going to look? So we were like, man, yes, we always thought it was going to be 1,000 people, but now we really believe the number that God has given us is 600 people. When we are averaging 600 in attendance, we're going to start looking for our second campus. And I can't go in to all the details, but it's, it's an incredible, incredible move for us as a church because we believe, number one, multi-site empowers more people and equips and releases more people for ministry. Uh, the second thing, it's a great stewardship decision there. Because in our, in our area, everything is landlocked. Now, I'm not opposed to God dropping a huge building in our laps. That would be awesome. But if you guys haven't noticed, our, our, our infrastructure is out. We're outgrowing our infrastructure. And so to be able to accumulate smaller, smaller spaces um, is, is, is a lot more feasible, but it's also a lot more resourceful. So a lot of the funds just don't go to, to massive projects but can go back into the ministry. And so, so it's just, just an incredible uh, vision that God has given us. And guys, we're halfway there. We're halfway there. So what next? Like what do we do now? Well, after much prayer and after really seeking the Lord for this next season in 2018, I'm saying, Lord, what, what we want to do, we want to know what you're doing and we want to see and, and move only in the direction that you're leading. We felt God speak this very clearly to us. If you're taking notes, you want to jot this down. The vision as we move forward in 2018 is that we need to double our space so we can double our stories. Yeah, that's awesome. It's weird. I kind of feel like Steve Jobs revealing the iPhone. Look at the iPhone. This is so much more important than the iPhone. This is eternity, ladies and gentlemen. But double our space so we can double our stories. Let me explain to you what that means. Uh, we'd be given an opportunity uh, to purchase the two suites upstairs. Let me show you what those look like. It's perform a construction suites, and, and they, it overlaps from our worship center here all the way over to our entire kids section. Now, what this is going to do, it's going to more than double our kids space. Because all of our kids will go upstairs. It's going to give them, right now that we're operating with about 900 square feet, it's going to put us at about 2,500. And so we're going to be able to take our kids and our student area to a whole nother level, it's, which is huge. And then we're going to blow out this wall and we're going to expand the worship center. And we'll be able to almost double our space as far as our seating capacity goes. And so, so this, this, is, this is so exciting because not only is it, is it a, a great move or a great next step for us, but it, it, in so many different ways. Let me just give you a quick financial report. We owe currently $640,000 on this property. We purchased it for about $1.3. We'll purchase upstairs for about $750. Uh, we're going to refinance the loan. Interest rates are still very reasonably low. So our mortgage isn't going to shift a whole lot at all. And we're going to acquire uh, two new suites, over 2,500 more square feet of prime real estate. Because this isn't church real estate. This is medical real estate. And so just all the way around, we feel like it's, it's the great next step. It's our Jericho. And there's going to be so many more steps after that. But this is our wall. This is our Jericho wall. So, hey, every Thursday we're laying hands on this wall. Come down. So exciting. It's so exciting. And, but but I, I have to say this, doubling our space, buildings are just a tool. 
We're not building it hoping they'll come. We're building it because they're coming. But the building is just a tool. It's not the end all. So, so the goal isn't just to, 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 to get more space physically because we can only grow as tall as we are deep. We can only grow as wide as we are deep. So we can't just double our space as far as infrastructure naturally, but we need to double our space supernaturally. We need to not only double our physical space, but we need to double our disciples. What does that mean? Let me show you a picture. Imagine a doctor gets dropped right in the middle of this war zone. And the doctor has a couple of options. He can right away run to the worst case scenario, try to fix him up, and run to the next worst scenario and try to fix him up. But that's just not sustainable in this type of environment. If a doctor was wise, what he would do is he would land, he would assess take a moment to assess what's going on. He would rally a few people that maybe aren't hurt as bad, teach them how to bind up some simple wounds. Teach them how to bind up some people that, listen, just with a few tweaks, they're going to live. And then maybe take another group of people and show them a little bit more of the trauma side and, 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 and take people with him because the doctor, there's no way that he's going to be able just to go from person to person to person and it be sustainable unless he multiplies himself. And it's the same way. Moses' uh, Moses's father-in-law said, bro, you got to multiply. You're going to die. And you're hurting the people. They're, people are getting tired. People are getting weary. You got to multiply. We see this in the book of Acts. The disciples were trying to do everything. And, and here they are. They're, they're, people, are being fr- people are frustrated. Widows are complaining because... They're not being served like some of the other widows. And the disciples are like, man, we're trying to focus on teaching the word, on prayer, on, on leading this thing. And, and we're, you know, serving, you know, in all these different areas. And so they said, you know what, we need to choose seven that are full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit and release them to do what God has called them to do so we can do what God has called us to do. And this was the result. Let me show you in the book of Acts. It says, so God's message continued to spread. And the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. God began, not just as they began to multiply, God began to grow the church. Because it's only then that it's sustainable. Because God's heart isn't that we have just a place full of seats. God's heart is that people are being pastored and cared for at every single level. Are you tracking with that? So we're not into growing for the sake of seats. We're not going to be judged on how big of a crowd we can draw. But, but God's going to hold us accountable to the disciples that we make. And are we caring for them? You, you with me on that? So what is this going to take? Let me wrap this up. What is this going to take from us as a church? Well, the first thing is that we're going to have to hear what no one else is hearing. Let me show you a passage in Nehemiah. We've been, God has been doing a lot in my heart in this book. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4. Nehemiah just found out that the walls of Jerusalem, his countrymen, place where his fathers are buried, lies in ruins. The church is erected and, and functional, but the walls have been torn down, the gates have been burned. And Nehemiah said, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For days I mourned. You know how many other people heard that the walls have been torn down and the gates have been burned and just went on with their life? 
But Nehemiah heard what nobody else was hearing. And so he was able to see what nobody else was able to see. These walls laid in shambles. These gates had been burned for 140 years. The temple had been restored for about 70 years at this point. I'm sure a lot of attempts, a lot of wishful thinking, but Nehemiah was hearing at a deeper level. He was hearing the cry of the people. He was hearing the heart of God in the midst of brokenness. And it, and it drew him to a place of, of weeping and, and mourning like this is, this is not okay. Listen, what Nehemiah was able to see was a window. Can I just tell you that every opportunity presents itself a lot of times as a problem. A lot of opportunities present themselves as a problem. A lot of times we don't see them as opportunities, but every problem is an opportunity. And can I tell you what problems do? Problems bring out strength that you didn't know you had. Like over this 21 days of fasting and prayer, we've been sick. My family's been down the whole time. It's been rough. But God brought out a little bit more that we didn't know we had in us. God continued to, to, to strengthen us in ways that we just, we had no clue. But, but not only do, do problems bring out strength that, that we don't have, but you know what problems are? Problems bring burdens. And everybody listen to me. And burdens always precede vision. Always. We have to get a burden for those cries. We have to have a burden for the lost who are on those beaches. I can't create that in your heart. I can't cast a compelling vision to make you believe that. You have to, you have to say, God, open up my ears. God, help me to be in tune to what you're saying and to the cry of what's happening around me. God forbid we as the church turn a deaf ear to the cry of the hurting. That just can't be us. We have to tune our ear to what God is saying. The second thing is this, is we have to pray like no one else is praying. This is, this is a huge conviction of mine. I've always said that we're not a church that prays, we're a praying church. But I looked over this last year and I said, I don't think that's true. I felt like God's saying, yeah, we're a church that prays and, 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 and that's absolutely true. But God, I felt like God's saying, no, no, no. Prayer needs to permeate everything. See, Nehemiah, when, when, when he heard all this, look what he did. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was saying, this is so much bigger than us. This is so much bigger than me. And he began to cry out to God saying, God, Lord, we, we need you. Can I just tell you that prayer does not only precede vision, prayer sustains it. And so I believe that God wants to transform our culture when it comes to prayer. That prayer has to permeate everything, not just in our church, but in our lives as the church. That we need to be praying uh, as we're on our jobs, as we're at school, that we need to be sensitive to what God is saying. Because listen, if we're not in constant communication with the Lord, it's going to be hard to hear and it's going to be hard to see. And so like Paul said, pray continuously. Just let prayer permeate everything that we do. So I'm not exactly sure what day. Our prayer nights right now are on Thursday nights. But we might move them to Tuesdays to worship practice. we got to figure this whole thing out. But our prayer night, we're going to be calling people out to prayer. And I've done you a disservice, honestly. I, I, I've basically given you an invite. But now, man, I'm calling you to come and pray. Come and cry out to God with us that we might see transformation 
in our city. Let me, let me show you what Jesus said. Jesus said, as he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, he said, my house will not be called a house of preaching, not just called a house of worship, but a house of prayer. Prayer has to permeate everything we do. Lastly is this. We have to do what no one else is doing. We have to do what no one else is doing. Look what Nehemiah said. Are you guys with me? You guys still alive? First service? Come on. Get excited with me, first service. It says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah is praying again. Nehemiah, you're going to see this theme. If you read Nehemiah, you're going to see him constantly in praying. And Nehemiah prayed and he's praying. Nehemiah wanted to make sure he was seeing and hearing clearly. He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah said, I'm going to have to go and I'm going to have to do what nobody else wants to do. But look what he said. This, this really encouraged me. I was very much afraid. And I just felt like the Lord say, man, you just got to keep doing it afraid. Just keep doing it afraid. It doesn't even matter. Just If you feel fear, who cares? Faith precedes that. Faith trumps that. Just do it afraid. Just keep taking steps that are much bigger than you are that require me to step in. He said, I was very much afraid because the king asked him, hey, Nehemiah, why you look so down, buddy? He was afraid that the king might think he was disloyal. He could have he lost his life. He could, there there could have been a conspiracy that the king thought was stirring up. And he says, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. <laughs> Let me show some honor real quick. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? You know, I've always preached this, and I said, Nehemiah left his place of comfort. He did only till he got a vision. Then he wasn't comfortable in the palace anymore because his heart was in the rubble. I thought, man, it wasn't this big sacrifice for Nehemiah to go. It was huge because he went 1,000 miles by foot back in the day. That's, that's tough. But he would have been so uncomfortable in that palace knowing all the brokenness in Jerusalem. And he said, I got to go. I got to do what nobody else wants to do. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, church can become like a restaurant where we eat, we see some people, we tip and we leave. That's not the house that God is building here. God is building a home. You know what's so awesome about a home is you get in, you're going to eat, but it's like your hair's down. You're actually talking to people when you're eating for the most part if your phones are away. And you're conversating and you're doing life. But you know what makes a home? It's when you actually get in the game and you're doing dishes together. Right? When, when you're cleaning up, when you're straightening up. You know the conversation that happens when you're cleaning up? And you're serving alongside by side. Or when somebody's struggling, you're the first person that they call. If you want to see, man, how can you, you come and bring relief and you're doing life together. But listen, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Not a whole lot of people are doing that today. But that's going to change because God is not building a restaurant. He's building his house. And so I'm calling you, listen, this, this year, this year, and, and, and it's going to be scary. Because God's going to ask some of you to sacrifice your time like you've never sacrificed your time. And that's so that you can enlarge your capacity spiritually by getting plugged into a small group, by jumping into growth track, by just 
getting plugged in by stepping out and talking to people in the marketplace, in, on your job, in your family, that God, that are on beaches, that God has placed you as a boat to say, get on board. Let's go home. God is going to ask some of you, some of us, all of us, to, to step out of some of our talents. Like you're gifted. You know, the smallest boat in Dunkirk was a 14-foot fishing boat. He said, oh, man, I don't got much. But he rescued a few. And everyone is worth it. God's going to call us to give of not only our time, our, our talent, but also our treasure. Like some of you guys going to stretch you this year. And he's going to say, you need to start tithing. I'm going to call you to give above and beyond. And really, that's not a sacrifice. That's more so what's you. That's a whole other sermon. Will you do it afraid? And will you just go with us? Listen, I don't know how it's all going to play out. I don't know exactly how everything's going to unfold, but I know Jesus is in it. And he's never failed us yet. He's never failed us. And listen, here at Fountain Church, we always say this, that it is a privilege we see serving as a privilege. Like, it's not a burden to come here and serve. Why? Because there's Eva's. Because there's Vince's. Who, who, who otherwise, I mean, she said, I saw the signs. Like, you didn't think sign, holding signs were making an impact? One lady said, I, I haven't been told I look good in a long time. I'm coming back to this church. For it is an honor to sacrifice for Christ and his church. But I'm not calling you just simply to a great need. I'm calling you to a mission that you were created for. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us in advance or beforehand. So listen, why? That we should walk in them. We should walk in them. I just want to help you walk in what God has already planned beforehand for your life.